0: We can just jump in and get started but I wanted to start by asking you to fill me in on your background and your practice and kind of how you got to where you are now. My background is that I grew up in New Jersey and I went to art school at the Maryland Institute College of Art uh, for a year and a half before I matriculated to the art school of Lausanne in Switzerland because at the time I really wanted to learn to speak. And at that time, they didn't have a program to just go do it for a semester. So I decided to just go. And I was able to matriculate, and I graduated from that program in three years. And then I stayed in New York for another year. I lived in Paris after that. Then I went back to the New York area. I lived in New York City for a few years. Then I went back to to, um, graduate school for video art at yeah, um also known as RPI and that's um that's where I learned to to work with video and to edit and manipulate video and I continued to do photography but I didn't really study it there and then I um let's see I went to SUNY Albany for a few semesters I had a fellowship and I was working on women's studies and photography and then I ended up staying in that area for a while. Then I moved down here to Houston, like I said, about seventeen years ago with my ex husband. And um I did a bunch of things from editing the journal of photography for Houston Center for Photography. Then I actually became their director for 18 months. And then I left and because I was starting to have a lot of shows especially with my gallery in New York City, and it was something I wanted to do more than be an art administrator. So I left, and then I was a full-time artist for years, and then I started teaching at Rice eight and a half years ago. Yeah. That's a great career. I actually had my first internship at HCP. I feel like it's a good launching pad for people. Who was there at the time? Um, it was Linda, um, Linda Shearer, and then Ashlyn Davis took over. And now I think they're back to Linda. It's kind of funny if it came full circle. Oh, I didn't know Linda came back. Okay. I'm excited to be talking to you hearing about your mix of video and photography. Because I have a photography background, and so I'm always interested to see how people are connecting the dots in that way. How did you get started with videography? What led you to that technology? Well... When I was studying photography in Switzerland, I got interested in approaching it in a very experimental way. So I didn't want to go, there. although I did have my own darkroom. They, I was doing actually, what do you call it, a fifth year, which is like an MFA. So at that point, they gave me my own darkroom to manage. And I did black and white printing, fiber paper, you know, very traditional. But I also started to do these slideshows and color slides and Writing on the slides and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. So I was really interested in that kind of projection of image, right? So then when I got back to New York, I started adding sound to it. So I would like have this tape recorder and then the slide projector. And I was like, you know, <laughs> I think video would make this a lot simpler. So, um, yeah. But, you know, the time really was just the beginning. Okay. This is 1995. Just the beginning of starting to get Premiere, I mean, Photoshop had just barely been invented. So, like, it wasn't that easy to have a computer and to have one that had enough memory to even do a lot of this software stuff. So, things were still analog. So, that's why I wanted to have access to an editing suite. It was analog. And you couldn't afford that. Like, that was, like, $60,000, my god. And it was all tape, you know, like big fat tape. And then with that, you know, I really was interested in working on sound. And sound was accessible. You could edit sound on your own. You know, I have like a musical interest, but I'm not someone who's, I I mean, I play piano and I play guitar, but like really low, like, like just hobby stuff. But I wanted to be able to manipulate the sound and image together. So doing that program, anyway, it just got me really, opened my eyes to like a lot of different approaches to working with technology, actually, because, you know, they had people coming in to just do artists, not the residency, but just drop in and do a performance. And they were people like George Lewis, who's a famous musical, you know, musician, but also he does a lot of experiments on music and Lori Anderson, that kind of, you know, to mean. approached and really like so exciting. And then I just, I wasn't really doing projection, but I was interested in melding, like, experimental film and doing, like, filming myself because I had been doing sort of self-portraits um, in the sense of, like, Cindy Sherman, mm-hmm. you know, where you stand in front of the camera and it was, like, really feminist film-inspired. So I just kind of like taking technology and, and having it in my own control, like, from start to finish. It was powerful. It felt empowering. Yeah, like you say, it's really powerful and you've got a lot of control about the way you present the work and the way it's shared. I know it's very interesting. Yeah, the way it's shared is right. Because, you know, I was coming up in the 80s and we were looking at people from the 70s who had taken these tools of to production and were starting to be able to afford to buy them and use them themselves in their own intimate studio settings. Like, you know, Richard Serra could have just short films of himself dropping steel or, you know, like you know very conceptual but still they were using that in a very simple way i just love that idea of kind of taking it into a simple small like intimate setting you know what i mean it didn't have to be commercial you didn't have to try to be some high production value and so how have you transitioned the video and photography into the public art installations that you're doing now i've seen you at the silos and harrisburg and now at Rice. how's that kind of come to be Yeah. Well, when I was doing my photographs of zoo animals that I started around mid-2000, they started, I started to make them larger and larger. And then I decided if I could just project them, I could do them really large. And that started them, proposed a project where I projected eight different channels of video. And then that was indoors. That was for diverse works back when it had a larger space. And the space was actually windowless. <laughs> so it was easy to do this immersive environment. And I don't know if I should even show you that on my screen. If I should. Is that make it sing right now? Definitely. So it's here. Okay. Let me see. So this was about manipulating the images of animals that were now video, but like in a similar way to the, to the way I'd been doing it for my photographs where I darkened out or removed the backgrounds. And um I was able to kind of paint the walls with these images and then even create things that looked like something that they weren't. So this looked like a pool because I had sea lions in there, you know, swimming. So really, it looked totally realistic. It was kind of amazing that it was such a, it was so effective and yet very simple that it, you know, it was really fun. So it was that combination of making something large and also the conceptual motivation behind it was that I could really push this idea of the power dynamic between humans and animals and my idea was to say like we need to take them seriously and not think that we are the end all and superior and who cares and overlook them it's the idea around like wanting to even project 30 by 50 feet you yeah. know what I mean? it makes the viewer look like the size of an ant And things that are ant size are now larger than life. I've noticed, I feel like that comes across in a lot of your installations. is the relationship humans have with animals and nature. Yeah. With the bees and the hives. I was interested in how you got started working with bees specifically. Yeah, well, it was actually back in around 2010. So I had been working on all these animals, but then land animals... So I've been going to zoos a lot, and concerned with the extinction and you know the idea of like how do we you know help these creatures. But then that time period around 2006 to 2010, there was a lot of talk about colony collapse disorder, which is where bees were suddenly disappearing in large amounts. So that became in the news so often that I thought about, well, okay, this is actually interesting because people have a hard time. Sympathizing, I think, with things that don't look like them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, how could I do it? How could I approach, you know, an insect? How could I make that appealing? Like the way I've been doing with animals, like I've been kind of anthropomorphizing animals by putting them in groups in these settings. So I had to take a new approach and I liked that challenge. Plus it was, I was really interested in the environmental aspects of it. So pollinators in general, like not just bees, but also butterflies were also becoming under scrutiny for the, environmental impacts that we're having on their, you know, their ability to, like the migration, for example, there's a big butterfly migration, and they're saying, well, this is actually being impacted, and these things like climate change, etc. Anyway, it just really, the news brought my attention to these concerns. Yeah, I think they've been really effective from what I've seen, I was kind of going through these videos that you have on your website earlier. I wanted to ask you specifically about the honeybee film you made. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> That was really interesting, and I was reading artist that you had next to it, and it sounded like you got to use 3D technology and modeling. Yeah. Yeah. What was that process like? Yeah, that was a really fun and interesting process where the video itself, oh my God, talk about technology. It was shot with one camera, but with two different lenses almost, mm-hmm. so that when I was done, let's say shooting a scene, I had to mux it together. It's called muxing. Where you have to take your footage and digitally put it together in another program. So that's complicated. And then, but you know, it's doable. You just kind of have to figure out. Anyway, so all of this was shot like that. Like it's all 3D footage, not straight ahead. And then I also, at the same time, challenged myself to not only learn Maya to do a 3D environment and 3D models, but also to do it in stereoscopic 3D. So it was like, Then I had to also create two channels, like two outputs, not just one, but like a left and a right side. And they're not the same. They're angled differently, like your eyes look. It's really not simple, but especially doing it in like a virtual world, I had to have two cameras in this little space. You know, it's just outrageous. (laughs) How would you do the mixing? What software would you use for that? I'm pretty sure I did it with after Effects, but now I'm not quite exactly sure. And I had to get the right kind of video graphics card for my computer, Hello. and the, the right monitor. And um, the people at the uh, University of Houston's computation center were really helpful. It was a computer scientist actually who was really knowledgeable, and he helped me figure all of that stuff out and to get it together so that they. And I could work with them. You know, it's interesting in a technology level because a lot of universities have this kind of resource because they want to be able to look at virtual worlds that are used for actually mining, like our resources down under, like the earth, earth science, but like for, say, I don't know, drilling oil. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's not always, certainly not art related. Well, that's yes. an interesting partnership this year-long residency that they uh, Do they still do that? Mm-hmm. No, they don't. But in fact, interestingly enough, that computer scientist moved from there to Rice and started a video wall there with similar capabilities. And so I brought my students. I was able to get my students over there and see. Yeah, this project, I was just looking at this and I was like, wow, this must have been it's something I'm certainly not familiar with. It would have required a lot of learning on my part. To figure all of that out. Well and another aspect that was funny about it was that once it was done, I couldn't really show it that often because you'd have to have a place where people could have the the, the glasses that are they're expensive. They're like hundred and fifty dollars a pair. They would kind of they'd be for stereoscopic movies, so they would like shutter left and right, left and right, you know, really fast. Oh, so right, so if you had a gallery, you'd have to have a gallery sitter to make sure that A, the viewer could get the glasses and not walk away with them. <laughs> so this kind of art is actually challenging for artists because you can't really show it that easily. That's an interesting <laughs> problem. I hadn't really thought about that. How have you either circumvented that or have you like thought about a new technology to make similar types of work? Well, I, I basically didn't do it again because I was like, it's too much work for too little exposure. So I, you know, I had that experience. I showed it a couple of times in different places. But it's so much you doing these outdoor projections that if they're only up one night, it's really because a lot of people don't see it. And places don't cover it. Like some online art magazines are like, "Well, we're not going to write that because it's it's not a sh- it's not on." It's like, but it is. It's just one night. <laughs> it's just a compressed period of time. So you know, I mean, it took me two years to make that project. Um, it was called Flow, and video yeah, that was an interesting project. Okay, so yeah, you know, that was a commission, and it had all the resources of that certain wonderful group in town the aurora picture shows fabulous to work with so much work and then i got a composer and then we had this wonderful opera singer and yet you know it's just one night and it's all over and i i don't have very good documentation of it it's just incredible like the amount of work for what you know ends up lasting you know but these are such special projects, and I think that they're yeah. so unique to, I mean, like Flow especially, it was really unique to Houston and all of the mm-hmm. different collaborators we have here with Flora and the Opera and then yeah. Buffalo Bayou, especially. I don't know. I kind of like the one night happening. It just makes an experience really special, and the people mm-hmm. who get to experience will always have that, and then mm-hmm. you, know, you miss it, you miss it. All right, all right. Thank you. Like, I know I wanted to keep this so short. I know your time is. Very valuable. Um, I wanted to ask you just before I let you go, know what's next? Well, I actually have a piece I'm going to do in the um, Sawyer Yards site gallery. And it's funny because this time I'll be inside the silo, not <laughs> on the silo. And you have done both types of silos, indoor outdoor. I love it. <laughs> be a silo like specialist. But, um, yeah, I'm going to do an indoor projection this based on animals that are threatened by extinction, I've started to do it on lemurs, and um, I have footage but I'd like to add to it. The idea is that it's jungle environment it kind of mimics well, it showcases the way some place with the right environmental control or I don't know allow nature to to support itself so for example, in Madagascar, lemurs are able to pollinate actually because they can take food from trees and if a tree forest let's say is cut down by humans um they can help re-pollinate it and get it back growing again as long as we don't start to kill them too (laughs) right so i was going to compare that but anyway i was going to show it as like a this tall forest jungle environment very immersive and things like that, and then get some sound in there too, and maybe even smell. Like we can get like some fruit, dried fruit rinds, so you have kind of cool environmental, like really immersive installation. That is very very cool. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So I'm hoping to do that in March ish. Okay. I will keep an eye out. Where do you get the footage of these leavers? Well, I was at the Houston Zoo. I got them right before we went into this pandemic lockdown. And then I was supposed to go to Madagascar with a colleague at Rice, but we couldn't because of the pandemic. So I'm going to just try to keep working with the resources that I have here. Yeah. And hopefully you get to go soon. That sounds like a really fun trip. (laughs) Yeah. The installation is supposed to be part of Sculpture Month Houston, but that had to be postponed too because of COVID. So we'll see if it's, We'll see how it works out, how the final iteration works out. But I will definitely let you know. Yeah, me too. I can't wait to see. Thank you. And keep the prunings coming. I love those so much. Oh, thanks. They're thanks. beautiful. Uh, thank you. I have a lot more, actually, on the, in the works. Perfect. Why, why technology? Why is that a focus for you? It's the future, you know? Where if start? Incorporating it in so many ways, and I think that it makes art accessible to everyone, which is something I'm personally passionate about. Is just how can we bring in new audiences and engage people who might not necessarily walk into a gallery? How can we engage them? Yeah. That, in a way that's really effective. You know, yeah. Technology is the easiest way to do that. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I mean, like the projections that you do, for example, they're. Mm-hmm accessible and easy to um, engage with and they love that yeah yeah, I do too actually that's why I loved the original one you know back in 2014 where it was my first time projecting outdoors and I was like this is great people who are not normally in a gallery are just coming upon this work and reacting to it in a way they wouldn't in a gallery they're just like yeah you know and really free taking pictures of themselves and not being so self-censored right Right. Yeah. You don't have to feel like you have to be an art person or you can just be yourself and enjoy it. And I think that's why everyone makes art to an extent, right? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I really appreciate this. I'm so glad to get to talk to you and learn more about your work.